Welcome. Um, we're very glad to be back. In civilization. In civilization. Low tax California. No, not low tax California, but very nice weather like California. Yeah. And, uh, I never want to do a winter again, and I don't. I don't appreciate New York, where people live in places the size of a shoebox on the fifth floor, walk and up. pay a million dollars for living in a shoebox. Mm-hmm. In a great location, by the way, though we were in a great location, living in a box, living in a car. But we've had an incredible box. time, Phil. And what are we talking about today? We are talking. Ah, you know, just just the run of the mill. A meeting we had with President Trump in the Oval Office. In the Oval Office, as you do, a fifteen-minute meeting that stretched into a forty-five-minute meeting. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to show you the swag we got. We're going to tell you the stories. We're going to hint at things that we can't tell you. All that to come. Uh, we're going to talk about then. Like, then after President Trump, we went to CPAC for FBI Lovebirds. Undercovers. Undercovers. On the main stage at CPAC. Yes. In front of about a thousand people. We're going to tell you all about that. Then we're going to talk about coronavirus. Because everyone has to. COVID-19. Is it COVID-17? COVID-19. COVID-19. And COVID-19 is better than coronavirus because it sounds more scary. Do you think, which is the first band that's going to call themselves COVID-19? Stop it. Move on. What was that that band? 70. Go on. Move on. Um... Oh, and we're going to talk about, uh, much as I don't want to talk about someone's personal life, I do really, we're going to talk about, we all know that Josh Fox is a hypocrite and his arrogance knows no bounds, but we didn't know that his girlfriend is, has an equal measure of hypocrisy and entitlement. We'll be bringing you the full scoop on that in the <laughs> Anne and Phelan scoop. And we're going to... Because that's um, the way we play with words around here. And this week is the anniversary of the death of Andrew Breitbart, so eight years ago this week. And we're going to talk a little bit about Andrew at the end of the scoop. So we're going to start, yes. though, by talking about the fact that we went to the Oval Office this Great. week, which is kind of extraordinary. And it's kind of weird, actually, by the way, when you're in the Oval Office that you think, I'm in the Oval Office. Yes. And you spend a lot of time looking around thinking, oh, my I'm God, in I'm, the in the, I'm in the Oval Office. Yes. And President Trump was unbelievably nice, really relaxed, really funny. Um, he has that unusual aspect where he looks better in real life than he does on TV. Yeah, so I think what, what I've worked out about, I think, unfortunately, someone does make up for him when he goes on TV and they put on this orange stuff because he certainly doesn't have orange skin when you see him up close no. and personal. Um, but he was really nice. Very and we were charming, meant to go very in nice. For like, not, not, in fact, the public president uh, is, is, I suppose when he's giving speeches, you have to be loud and bombastic and all that. But in, in, in person, he's very charming, very yeah. personable, very, very nice. Very funny. Funny, very funny, um, very honest. Can we tell a story about the swag room? Very generous, too. Very generous. Very generous, too. Yes, very generous. So we went, for, let, let's put it in context. FBI Lovebirds uh, was at CPAC. FBI Lovebirds Undercovers was at CPAC. FBI Lovebirds Undercovers is the play that we have written. Uh, and it is the text messages of Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, the, uh, the verbatim, the FBI operatives, and then they're questioning under congressional pressure about those. It's very, very funny. It's very, very serious. It's um, teen texting drama meets uh, meets John Le Carrier coup d'état. Yep. So we, I, we the. President Trump obviously has an interest in that because he was the president they were trying to take down. So they, um, we went there first before the CPAC, and he, he, he was very, very interested in it. And uh, we then, so 
Well, take it from going into the Oval Office. I mean, it was just incredible. And I mean, you know, he was really personable. So it was myself and Phelan and Dean Kane and Christy Swanson, the two actors who played the lead roles in the, in the FBI Lovebirds. And you kind of have that thing when you're in the Oval Office. You think, oh my God, I'm in the Oval Office. This is kind of extraordinary, you know. Only in America, as they say, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually did say to the president rather cheekily, because um, he said, oh, the play is wonderful. Well done you for doing the play and whatever. And I said, well, this is just another example of immigrants doing jobs Americans just won't do. Which he thought was quite funny, actually. And he had a good laugh at and that. And he had a good laugh at that. And we got into a huge chat, major chat, um, talked about the, the lovebirds, but talked yes. about loads of other things, too. Well, he, he also, he, he said, he said, um, did, did you get the idea from me? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> he wasn't 100% sure who got the idea first. Uh, because he, he also does impersonations of Lisa and Peter at, uh, at his rallies. And... To be honest, we didn't get the idea of him. But when the president of the United States says, "Did you get the idea from me?" the only said, answer absolutely. to that is one hundred percent, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, uh, so we agreed with him. He he expressed an interest in even playing the Pete of the part of Peter Strzok. Uh, he said he could be deemed understudy. Yes. Um, he's he's a great a great person, great very personable. I think the thing that strikes person, and I I just asked a few other people about this actually. I even um, I met Molly Hemingway at CPAC and I asked her about it, and she agreed that it's interesting that he's even nicer in person than you imagine he is from the television and stuff like that. Uh, he really likes people. Yes. And I think you know the the, the sense is that I think Obama would have liked very elite people. He'd have liked mm-hmm. the people he liked. Whereas I think. Obama, or I think Trump actually likes everybody. Yes. He's, he's very, very interested in people. He had a, a chat about everything and wanted yes. to, you know, hear what everyone had to say about stuff. Yes. Yeah, no, it was, he definitely, and there was no sense of, you know, him looking at his watch. In fact, the only people looking at his watch were his aides very yeah, yeah, nervously. Yeah. And none of them, very interesting, obviously there's a protocol. You don't come in and say to the president, this meeting has to end now, but you come in and you stand and you look very nervous. They just nervous. stand and look very concerned. And at one time, you know, we were asking about different things or whatever, and um, and he was saying things like, Dan, are you out there in the office? And he was calling these names and whatever, mm. and certain people would come forward. But he was. it was very, I mean... Um, you know, I was nervous before we got there. And then when we were actually, by the way, really weird. So we walked from the Eisenhower building over to the West Wing. And uh, and as you walked uh, walked into the West Wing, and the first thing that happens is they take the phones off you. They take all your electronics off you, actually. Mm-hmm. So that when you go into the... And, and by the way, we have no uh, photographs because it was a private meeting. And unfortunately, we don't have any uh, photographs, which is a real shame. But you walk in and the thing that struck me was it's a house. Yes. And it, it's like a house. real house, actually like a house house. So there's a staircase. We went up the staircase to get into the hallway to go to the to the Oval Office. And it was about as narrow a staircase as you can possibly imagine. It's a real old-fashioned house. Oh, yeah, house like my stair- family home in Ireland, by the way, we had a wider staircase than it. Super yeah. narrow. So we come up the top of the staircase. Magda doesn't even know this. And we're lo- walking along the little corridor until we get to the ante room where we drop all our stuff. Um before we get to the next ante room, which is outside of the Oval Office. And the next thing just walks out the door, Jared. And I literally was like some kind of, you know, um, pathetic, uh, I don't know, whatever, you know, uh, pop idol thing. I literally went because I was getting, I was pretty nervous. As I said, before I went into the Oval Office, I was really nervous. But when I, once I went in, I was super relaxed. Mm. But I kind of went, there's Jared. <laughs> and I, he just he just walked and whatever. And you could see people, like lots of people all over the West Wing waiting, um, you know, I suppose for meetings with different parts of the administration and stuff. So in the end, it was just um, ourselves and... Um, 
uh, some some of the uh, you know some um, top officials at the White House, and basically about six of us in the yeah, room. Remember, in remember the, we're going to we're going to leave. It was going to end at one stage. Said, this is just, a funny I like bit. those people. What was I that? like those people? What would we say? What was that? What prompted that? I don't know, but uh, we were very happy that he said yes. it. So I like these two. I like yes. these two. And then and then we said, look, you know, it actually got to a stage I think where we, we started we started discussing the media at one stage too. Oh yeah, he, I he think you might that. have said something about the media. Yes. I think there might have been something that you said yes. about the media, and it particularly warmed to that. Yes. And then we said we should probably go because obviously we needed to get the two actors back because they were on stage at CPAC. And he said, no, no, I have to show I you something. I have to show you something. I, show I, don't you something. Sh- I don't bring many people here. You have to see this. You have to see this. I don't bring many people And he people quite here. excitedly did that. And he brings us off to the uh, side and we leave the Oval Office and we go down a small corridor. About, we go like two yards, two yards, three yards. Uh-huh. And there's a little room. Ante room. A little ante room, which small um, with a window in it. And he then says... This is the room where Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky hung out. Hung out. Yes. Um, and He's, we all know that. Story. So we're like going, says, oh my God, says, don't worry, we got it fumigated. Which, I mean, he was really funny. And of course, one realises that he is actually a germaphobe and that he possibly did actually get it um, fumigated. But he has, tra- he has um, transformed that room into a room of, you know, memorabilia. And so we got some very interesting swag. Um, actually, this, this is what I uh, originally, this was done actually in in the Oval Office. So I, I, at the last minute, I decided to get some scripts printed, FBI Lovebirds scripts printed, and hopefully we can show you this in more detail. Take a picture of it. But there's the script, and we've got three of them signed by President Donald Trump. See there? And All he right. signed them with the gold pen. Signed and I actually pen. suggested, so I suggested to the president. Yes, I'm I, I'm I suggested it. opening the script yeah, and, signing, and writing on the inside. There on signing the, it there, right? And he on said, on the, on no, the, no, no, no. On the title He page. said, no, no, no. You're going to make much more money on eBay. If I sign it on the if outside. If I sign it on the outside. So I wasn't going to. And then that allowed him well, to, I mean, actually, yeah. to actually say to me while we were standing there, he said... I must give you some pens. And he opens up the drawer right in the right at the Oval Office at, the, yes. at his desk, and it's all these pens. He grabs a whole lot of them and gives me them, which these I also have. Sharpies with, with sharpies with, with his a, name with on them. With a crest on them. Yeah, yeah. So we'll probably, I think, going forward, p- maybe uh, put these out as a perk on some play going forward. We have three of them. My big dilemma is whether we give all three of them away or keep one of them for ourselves. But if anyone's got any suggestions, be in touch with us, yes. please. Yes, we're not putting them on eBay anytime soon. No, we're not putting them on eBay. We'll be giving them out as perks for people who have been very generous and supported all our yes, projects. thank so you. So then we went into the Bill and the Bill, Monica. The Bill and Monica suite. Yes, and um, he produced... First of all, he produced the these oh Phelan hang on you've got to speak to the microphone oh, first of all he produced these which he said not many people have them so they're Keep America Great Hats Keep America Great Hats hang on was 45 written on the side Let's 45 written on the side Trump twenty. and they have the they have you can the, see all this on YouTube more detail if, you, if, you, if you're listening at home so again we'll probably be uh, auctioning them uh, as a perk or I don't know but it's great question. to have great they're to have great to have and so he, he also said, oh, these two are married. So I definitely want to give us something special to these two. You can see, anyone listening to this on the podcast, you know, you'll get a good view of this on, on the YouTube. Uh, so it's in a royal blue box. Salisbury pewter made in the USA. And then you open it like this and you take it out. I got it. I'll take it. I'll grab it. Okay. And then it looks like a little bit like... That. This, which is so, kind of amazing, actually. So it's the White House. So it's the White House, with and that's Donald Trump's Donald signature. Trump's signature at the bottom. And so, pewter. In so. pewter. So we got a lot of we got a lot of presents. A lot of swag. A lot of swag. So it was really good fun. Um, 
We, it was lovely, really amazing, just incredible, kind of an amazing um, surprise. He's actually, a very charming him. man. You know? Yeah, really charming, really uh, fun. He, he, I think he loves Americans. He loves people. Yeah. He loves talking to people. And he has no, yeah, he has no kind of, there's no formality. So it was all no. very relaxed. Yes, yes. So then we had to, so but, then we literally had to run but, and out he had, of there. And he has, I want to say one other thing. He has some very interesting ideas about FBI Lovebirds yes, undercovers the play. Yes, he does. And uh, he had some very interesting suggestions about how we could move that forward. So we'll be, we'll be exploring those uh, suggestions going forward. And uh, so, but let's talk now about CPAC and uh FBI Lovebirds Undercovers at CPAC, uh, the first ever play at CPAC in its almost 50-year history. Yeah, so in front of like an audience of over a thousand people, mm-hmm. um, Lisa Page uh, played by Christy Swanson and uh, Peter, Peter Strzok played by Dean Cain took, ma- took to the main stage and my God, the reaction was extraordinary. Here's a little video from Fox News telling the story. Dean Cain and Christy Swanson getting a lot of laughs at CPAC with their dramatic reading of the text messages between former FBI agent Peter Strzok and former FBI lawyer Lisa Page. OMG, he's an idiot. Oh, he's awful. America will get what the voting public deserves. That's what I'm afraid of. Cruz just dropped out of the race. It's going to be a Clinton-Trump race. Unbelievable. What? Question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, question mark. The performance of FBI Lovebirds was shortened from the original 50-minute play for CPAC. But not everyone was happy, right, Phil? Well, no, actually, (laughs) another reporter in Fox News said we brought down the house. Yeah. Um... So we've seen that video. The Washington Post also sent their national arts correspondent, uh, flew in especially from Boston to do a piece on the play. And he says that piece will appear later this week, maybe the beginning of next week. We'll yeah. see. Uh, and then, however, but a lot of these pieces, a lot of coverage, actually. We had Daily oh, Beast, Vanity Fair, yeah. Daily Mail. Daily Beast did two pieces, right? Um uh, the Washington Post, they the Center National Arts correspondent, and then they had an opinion writer, Alexandra Petri. She was very upset, Phil. Very upset. She was very upset, stating that we should not be doing a play about these senior FBI FBI lovebirds um, because they're also somehow private citizens. Yes. And so, how, do you, how do you work that, Phil? Well, you know, they're FBI operatives, right? Uh, they're a senior FBI. Um, Apparatchiks, like your man was the head of Peter Strzok was head of counter espionage, uh, but somehow she's now saying this Washington Post writer is now saying the private citizens. Also, Lisa Page has given more interviews on MSNBC than I have. <laughs> right, Lisa Page has given uh, has 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 tweeted more often than I have. Probably, you know, these are now public. She's tweeted about impeachment. She's called for the impeachment of President Trump. Uh, they're they're suing the FBI. They've released their they have PR agents. They have lawyers. These are not private yeah. citizens. So or they're certainly not behaving like it. I call it the Greta Thunberg get out clause, where if you criticize, if if Greta Thunberg, we have to listen to her. We must listen to her now. She's a huge public figure, and if you criticize anything she says, how dare you criticize a child? She's only a child. That's yeah. right. So. These are private citizens. These are oh, look at how brave Lisa Page is making a public statement. You can't have it both ways. However, I have to say, even Alexandra Petri, who was critical of what we did, she was even forced uh, to accept in the piece, and we'll put the headline of that piece up, that uh, that a doomed love affair coupled with an attempt to overthrow a popular leader, uh, which backfired and changed their lives. 
forever. And I quote, had all the elements of a grand Shakespearean tragedy. And so it had actually. It's very King Lear or Hamlet, you know, and, and that's why that's why we, I think, want to put it on. Um, you know, that that it was just it was just worthy of of this drama. So let's he, and you you're going to read yeah, some of Alex. I mean, she, she, I mean she, you know, here's part of what she said. Alexa- you know, as Alexander Petrie, Petrie's column Washington from the Washington Post. Post. Nothing the president fixates on is too pathetic to be beneath my notice, according to Miss Petrie. That is why I went to the Conservative Political Action Conference just outside Washington and watched the play whose team he spent 45 minutes. He, the president, uh, 45 minutes with yesterday in the Oval That's Office. That's us, team. That's the team. That's the terrible team. Uh, playwright Phelan McAleer has turned the Peter Struck Lisa Page text and the testimony that followed into a stage production starring Dean Cain and Christy Swanson. I remain firm in my refusal to accept that these are public figures. These FBI employees have been lavishly punished. Lavishly punished, by the way. I'm wondering about that. For conducting an affair on their office phones and sharing their personal anti-Trump opinions with one another while simultaneously being professionals in government service. In, is three years of bullying and impersonation enough? Apparently not. Lavishly punished. These are people who still have their pensions. By the way, I, I will accept that they are private citizens when they stop giving interviews, when they refuse to, to take book deals, and when they hand back their pensions, their public pensions. You know, let's be very clear and also, let's be very clear, Lisa Page and Peter Strzok were not just, you know, did not oh, yeah, have... low an- level. Well, also, they, 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 yeah, they were not low level, but they, they did not have just anti-Trump opinions. Uh, you, you know, they Peter Strzok said he would stop the election of Trump, right? That's mm-hmm. not, you know, and he had the power to do it. Uh, by and, and he, of course, launched the ludicrous Russia investing. He launched it. Yeah. And he was heading it. And he also misled the FISA court uh, about people's backgrounds to continue spying on a political campaign he didn't like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so, and, is it, so is it a good idea to have people find out about that? I think so. I think so. Yeah, and I to find so. out about it in a way that's easily digestible. So having it done on, a, on stage is obviously yeah, the way and to then do this. You're going to read some more. So also, yeah, so Miss Petrie said, could you, turn, could, could you all turn this into a Shakespearean tragic comedy series, please? One audience member asked. You are Peter Strzok, another audience member told Dean Cain with wonderment after the play concluded. Who? I'm sorry, who? The head... The movements, you don't even look like yourself, Mr. Kane. Who? Who? Why do you all care? Why does the president care? Mr. President, you won. He did. He did. Listen, let's let's not let's let's not give Miss Petrie any any, any further. Mo- yes, exactly. Yes, um, but in, as she said in, in the Q, the Q and A afterwards, it's very interesting. Extraordinary. One member of the audience actually burst into tears. She was so upset by the content of the play, she didn't realize what they how been, bad it was. How bad it was. So she cried, thanking us and the actors. And again, the Daily Beast, they wrote two pieces. One was a general piece about the play and the, us meeting the president, uh, a snide little piece. And the other was a review uh, by a journalist friend of Lisa Page, ah. uh, Molly Young Fast. Very, very, uh, very uh, neutral commentator, yes. I'm sure. Yes, yes. and uh, she was quite uh, excited by the fact that she had discovered that the play had, she called the play a failure, FBI lovebirds undercover, a failure because it had failed to demonize Strzok and Page. And in fact, she said it had humanized them. And uh, however, I mean, it reminds me of James Toronto used to do a thing called Fox Butterfield. And it was, he would take headlines that, you know, the famous one, the Fox Butterfield one was, despite rising um, 
prison incarceration crime rate continues to fall right <laughs> and it's like no no it's no. because yeah. right yeah and it's like you didn't discover anything uh, miss young fast you, you that it was that was my intention you know <clears throat> she doesn't realize when we wrote the script we're spending we spent an awful lot of energy trying to find details humanizing details and put in as much humanizing details as possible it wasn't easy because congress or whoever released the doj took out most of the personal texts the really juicy ones actually Mm -hmm. i'm sure that these teenage love birds uh, sent to each other yeah uh but you know it's the humanizing details that make this entertaining that make it engaging and a human drama and i remember going through the text page by page and the congressional testimony and trying to find any kind of personal detail that would would take struck and page away from being pantomime villains and make them rounded human beings so miss young fast and uh, it's the daily beast you didn't discover you didn't we didn't feel we if you think we humanized peter struck and Lisa page that was the intention and i think making them humans makes it much more easy to see what they did and why they did it these are revolutionaries they believe in succeeding by any means necessary right whether it's legal or illegal because they're moral revolutionaries they were there to stop an immoral election a as person they as they saw it and we needed to show that mm-hmm. rather than them making them some kind of weird robotic evil bond villains yeah yeah uh, they're usually human beings it's much worse actually when you realize yes. that they're ordinary that they're ordinary yeah. people actually yeah. in, uh, ordinary people in extraordinary jobs doing awful things yes yes yeah. so i mean there was a lot of coverage we were mentioned in the in the New York Times by Maureen Dowd. By no less than Maureen Dowd. And she called the play a little play. I don't know, what's a little play? I don't know. It's very upsetting. Uh, uh, As opposed to a big play. What's a big play? Well, a big play, I don't know. I don't know. With a, what, a massive Broadway, Budget? Broadway production. Well, it might be, yeah, it might be that, actually. Maybe that's what it is. Well, I remember, I'm reminded of the South Park episodes where, you know, there were, where all the, the people were protesting against Starbucks coming in. And the bit at the end was... You know, uh, there's no little business in the world that doesn't want to be a big business. And there's no little play in the world that doesn't want to be a big play. However, I will not get a National Endowment of the Arts grant. I no, will I not get so. funding from Hollywood. I will, you know, so w- there's coverage all over the place. We're going to put up a list now. Vanity Fair, The Independent, Fox, Daily Mail, Raw Story, Washington Examiner, Business Insider. Oh, and actually today... Or uh, actually earlier, uh, then that was over the weekend, and then on Monday and on Sunday and Monday, Lisa Page then oh, yeah, tweeted got, out decided to get involved. So it's going to run and run. She now says the president is obsessed with her love life. You know we're obsessed with what you did in your work time. In your work time, with actually. your work with your work phone talking to another person that you worked with and it's not about, about trying to bring down a president who had been duly elected duly elected i mean it's 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 amazing what they did and i think that's why the person in the audience was in tears because they just didn't realize and the media is refusing to cover it and if the media covered this properly we there'd be no need for this play yeah i mean thank god the media doesn't cover things like ferguson properly and gosnell properly and uh and the FBI love words properly because I'd be out of work. You yeah, know? yeah. So uh, <laughs> it was a huge success. It and was a huge actually, success. you know what? It wouldn't have been successful without you, our viewers, our fans, our supporters. You've been wonderful to this project. Yes. We couldn't have done it without you. Uh, you've donated 
over and over again, and many of you repeated times. And really kind. It's humbling and it's wonderful. Please keep doing it. We're not quite, uh, haven't quite hit our total at fbilovebirds.com, but it's amazing. Uh, it's going to keep us going. We have so much planned for this play, and President Trump has so much planned for this play. And we're going to keep going, and we have so many plans for other projects as well. So you've been great. Thank you very much. We couldn't have done it without you. Don't forget to give again if you can, fbilovebirds.com. But thank very you grateful. very, thank very you. much. Well, well, talking of uh, lovesick teenagers, let's talk about the coronavirus. Did you like that segue? No, I think that's not a good uh, segue. Yeah, coronavirus obviously is, is in the news a lot. And um, we're going to, I mean, it's extraordinary. So I went to Costco, panic buying like everybody else, and I met a woman and she had like this huge trolley full of like massive numbers of toilet rolls, um, which are not called toilet rolls, we've discovered today. They're called bath tissue. Another one of these examples of Americans having a problem calling things the names that they should be called. It's mm. quite funny because I actually spoke to one of the girls at the till and I sort of said... Should it not be restroom tissue? Toilet, toilet tissue's roll. for rest. And she's like looking at me, toilet roll, she didn't know what it was. But I spoke to this one woman who had like huge amount of toilet roll and she, I said, to, and I just looked at her and went, Hawaii? Question mark. And uh, she was literally on the phone to the husband, um, you know, where he was sort of saying... Buy 10. Buy loads. You know, fill up the car. Mm-hmm. So she was she was filling up the car because obviously there has been um, a headline in the news that Hawaii um, are rationing toilet roll, um, which is kind of extraordinary. But it's interesting being in Costco. It's like... So Phelan and I were in Costco at the weekend and it's like being in a movie. It's a movie set because everyone's doing this panic buying and they're all kind of like... But also people are sort of giving each other notes on what they should buy and shouldn't buy. <laughs> and I'd love to hear from you about what we should and shouldn't be buying. I bought beef jerky because that'll last for about a thousand years. Um, I got uh, chicken stock. I think that's a good idea. Um... Lentils. Um, what else did I get? Because I thought things like that are really good. Um, I got, oh yeah, by the way, tried to buy disinfectant wipes. No, no hope. No disinfectant wi- wipes in Costco, even though at the door of Costco, someone's handing out disinfectant wipes so that you can wipe down trolley. Uh, the trolley. They're also giving out uh, disinfectant wipes. By the way, wipes do they call them trolleys in America? Uh, shopping trolley. Oh, yeah? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe something like that. But also they're doing the same in Trader Joe's. So Trader Joe's didn't have any disinfectant wipes. Doesn't so I decided, surprise me. It doesn't surprise me that so that inferior shop. does not like Trader Joe's. That, that, that's excuse so for I a decided, shop. Oh, the founder of Trader Joe's died at the we know weekend. That. So basically we decided to um, order the disinfectant wipes from Amazon. And I think it's interesting. I think one of the things that's going to come out of this coronavirus is people's behavior is going to change. I think there'll be people who have never shopped online who will, have st- who will start to shop online, realise how absolutely cool and easy it is to have bulky items delivered to your door for free and think, why am I ever getting in the car? So I think that's, I actually think that's going to be a massive thing. People are going to change one thing, one how, thing, they, one how thing, they operate. One thing I noticed was th- their behaviour may be changing, but it's, some behaviours didn't change. Despite all the panic buying in Costco, despite the rushing around and getting the water, People definitely took the time to stop and test the sam- the free samples that were being given out. Oh yeah, they're still they're still, <laughs> like, do, they're still, still doing, doing that. that. Like, yeah, oh yeah. my god, the world's going to end. We're all we need to stock up. Oh, that's a nice uh, piece of uh, organic cheesecake, and and where can I buy that? And oh, yes. and then 
then they go down, oh, the pasta, and all, yeah, 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 all yeah, the yeah, cheese yeah. on still the cracker. Out the free, for now, they're still giving out the free so, samples. And people are still eating them. So, but on a, more so, se- on a more serious note, I think one of the things that's going to come what, out... Do you think there's nothing serious about Costco I samples? Think not, but look, don't ever talk to me <laughs> with, about Costco in an unserious voice. I yes. mean, I obviously take my Costco very seriously. Um, and by the way, everyone else is too, because even during the week on quiet, you know, what should be quiet days mm-hmm. at our local Costco, it's like, it's basically like Christmas Eve. Can I just say another thing? Uh, there was a article in the, by the Brooklyn Costco in the New York Post and, and the manager was saying I've never seen anything like it we're doing a million dollars a day could I just say our local Costco does a million dollars a day in a normal on a normal in day. a normal year yeah ours but is I the most successful Costco on the planet oh the, quick... light, the lights have just gone out does that mean that the, that the coronavirus has taken over the utilities and everyone Okay. No. On a more serious note, um, I think one of the things that's going to come out of this coronavirus is that people are going to get an extraordinary education um, about, and a much needed education about how dependent we are in general on China in terms of supplies. So one of the things that's been, that I, uh, by the way, I wonder how many people knew this. Um, I certainly didn't know this. Practically every antibiotic in the world comes from China. China. So that if things get much worse, it's going to create a massive problem for people who are dependent on, but by the way, not just antibiotics, but all kinds of drugs for all kinds of conditions. It's extraordinary. And actually, somebody wrote a book about this in 2018, um, exposing the risks of America's dependence on China for medicine. Uh, Rosemary Gibson and Jen Arden Prasad Singh and both of them are getting a huge amount of airplay now lots of people are asking them their advice but I have to say I certainly didn't know that did you actually know that no well I think and by the way you know what what will happen which is a good thing and hopefully this coronavirus isn't going to last and I think that I mean if only there had been a a candidate running for election recently who warned about the power of China over the American economy if only if only I mean people might have voted for him and you know but I can't remember was there anyone recently who talked about China China China. And, and renegotiating trade deals with China, China. and bringing American in, industry back from China. Um, I wonder what... So, moving on. So, this, so, one part of this, one part of this education is this thing about the medicines mm-hmm. and how dependent we are on the medicines. I thought that was really disturbing. I think one good thing that will come out of this once they solve this coronavirus, hopefully they will, is that... Um, they're going to start producing um, antibiotics again. I mean, I just found this one one piece of information from that book, um, expo- again, this book by uh, Rosemary Gibson. The last penicillin plant in the United States closed in 2004. And I don't know how... I, I By the way, I, you know, you talk about national security yeah. risks. I don't know how that happened under whose watch that that was allowed to happen and everyone didn't go nuts. And by the yes. way, no one reported on that. I don't remember hearing this incredible thing. Oh my God, that's the last penicillin plant has closed. And by the way, we talked about this at the weekend film. If that was the case, right, the last penicillin plant has closed, but there's four in, in Brazil, there's, there was one, there's, a, there's three or four in France, there's, mm. a, there's many in UK, you wouldn't worry, right? But the fact that all of the penicillin is, is being produced in China, I think should have given a huge amount of pause and well, I, I find that I, I find an, that extraordinary I mean, if suddenly there was a war with China or a conflict with China the first what happens? thing they, they just withhold all the penicillin there's something incredibly irresponsible about that it's interesting as you say if only there was a candidate who had emerged in the last election who worried and and worried uh, about the, the role of China so, in terms and, of and, called, and their strategic importance uh, and, and called China a strategic uh, opponent of, yeah. of the United States 
Then the second thing, just because just to, just to have a couple of stories related to the coronavirus, and we're putting up a, a visual here, and I think it's really interesting that um, this map, these two maps, a map showing pollution in China before the coronavirus and now what it looks like now afterwards, obviously, because there's a lot of production has been has gone offline. They've closed factories to try and um, to try and curb or close down the, the spread of the virus. But I think that that map, what it tells me about is Here's my question. Why does uh, Greenpeace not headquarter all of their activities and all of their activism in China, given the kind of pollution that's been produced there? That map, for me, is extraordinary because it tells a story that is being completely ignored Mm -hmm. by uh, environmentalists who focus all their energy on developed countries that are already, you know, cutting down on pollution in huge ways. But while, while China gets to pollute at will and no one seems to know anything about it but actually another as i said another thing that's it's an education that's coming mm-hmm. out of this coronavirus is exactly how bad pollution is in china um and i think that that map is incredible and it's good that it's actually getting quite a bit of and greenpeace does not go to china they have and never, they don't no no it's funny that it's funny that that they don't um why don't they go and tie themselves up against a coal a coal burning power plant in china or let's sit or stand in front of a tree in, in china yeah yeah, because they wouldn't last so long. No, they wouldn't last Is that so the long. The roof collapsing. <laughs> we got, we've got a few. We've got a few f- f- weird things going on here today, but the other story coming out of the coronavirus more recently is that it's given the media another opportunity to ridicule um, President Trump and vice pr- and the vice president. Um, so here's you know here's what, what what's Vanity Fair. Oh. And in between these high-level meetings, he told reporters, the president of the coronavirus, it's going to disappear one day. It's like a miracle. It will disappear. This is what Trump said. And by the way, that is something that I think a lot of people are saying, that it'll probably work itself out Mm -hmm. and actually will disappear. And that's definitely the hope. But of course, according to Vanity Fair, unfortunately, according to actual doctors and people who, unlike Pence, don't think you can just pray for Jesus to take the wheel, that's not how containing and stopping a and pandemic that, works. And, and they, they just love this opportunity. Yeah. So there's this photograph, you're looking at this photograph now, which of course the media have made a huge amount of, of the meeting between Vice President uh, Pence and his coronavirus team, the team that are going to you know, spearhead the effort to try and coordinate mm-hmm. the, you know, how, to, how to handle things here. And at the beginning of the meeting, they prayed. And of course, this gave the media a massive opportunity to make fun of Christianity mm-hmm. and the power of prayer. You know, And here's... You know, one of the tweets that came from the New York Magazine and Harper's Magazine writer, uh, Thomas Chatterton Williams, who wrote, Mike Pence and his coronavirus emergency team praying for a solution. We are so screwed. And I just wonder if, for example, let's imagine this for a minute. Let's imagine for a moment that there was a Muslim in the White House who would be praying four times a day, right? It's, I think, mm-hmm. it's four times a day. Do you think... I'm just throwing this out to you. Do you think Thomas Chatterton Williams would say, we are so screwed? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. We are so screwed. No, he wouldn't lose his head over it. Okay, Phil, moving right along. Um, but I just, I just thought that that photograph, I actually thought that photograph was, was wonderful. And I think yes. there's, never a, there's never not, you know, there's never a reason not to pray and hope to God that things will improve. And I think people's faith is a, is a wonderful thing. Um, and making fun of people's faith is really pathetic, particularly when you only make fun of Christians. I think if you made it a lo- totally level pray- playing field and you were making fun of every religion, I'd have so much more respect for mm. you. But I just 
don't know. If Thomas Chatterton Williams has made fun of Muslims in serious positions, by the way, who have serious jobs but are allowed to pray as well. Thomas, it's the wrong question. And you cannot ask questions like that of Thomas Chatterton, Chatterton, Chatterton Williams, who is a writer, a writer for New York Magazine and Harper's Magazine. Do you not understand? He's a writer for New York. I'm going to say it again, for New York Magazine and Harper's Magazine. Show some respect, please. So, moving on, talking about... Just hoping, hoping, by the way, we're hoping very much that this coronavirus thing um, really does get resolved as quickly as possible. Well, Thomas Chatterton Williams, a writer... For New York Magazine, thanks for screwed. And Harper, we're screwed. So he is. He he knows everything. He predicted uh, correctly nothing recently. Ever, yeah. But you know, we we should trust him on this. So I just wanted to say, we didn't mention it at the time, but we're still raising money for fbilovebirds.com, FBI Lovebirds undercovers. Um, we haven't reached the total yet. We're close. We think it was totally worth it. We we were really grateful for your support especially with the amount of media coverage and and forcing people to address these issues. And people getting incredibly triggered on social media, like Jonathan Thurley, who is the constitutional law law professor at George George Washington Washington University. University. He's, he, he, he has, he, you know, he has 120,000 people following but he him, by wrote, the way. He says, I fail to see why this personal mocking of the affair of Struck and Page is appropriate. It is a reflection of how civility and decency are now strangers to our politics. And for that tweet, he got 4,470 comments. He got 1,367 Retweets and six thousand one hundred and thirty-one people loved that. Yes, so I don't know. I think the comment, the comments are quite fun. Actually, the he, comment, I think the comments are a lot. He got a very, bit of a smackdown. I think there. he got a big smackdown. So exactly. That's, so please go to fbilovebirds.com Support us if you can. We really appreciate it. Um, it's 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 an important project, and there's going to be more of it. So let's talk now about Josh Fox. So Josh Fox, as you know, is the director of Gasland, Gasland 1, Gasland 2, and then the director of a global warming movie whose name, I, who, not that I just can't remember, it's too long, complicated. Yes. Uh, how to love, how to let go and love climate change and love the things you can't accept change or something. Or something. Yes. something like that. He, he's done a play, uh, The Truth Has Changed, in which he accuses moi, August Vu, August 2. Us. Also been part of a $50 million smear campaign against him. God help him. God, you know, I, would, I wouldn't. I, I, would, I I'd like be, that. I'd be part of a $5 million smear. Actually, yeah, I, would yeah. be, I would be part a of a $500,000 yeah, yeah. smear yeah, campaign. Yeah. So exactly. if anybody wants to give me $500,000 to smear George Fox. I'm so happy to take it. I'll do it for, actually, I do it for free. But um, You do it for free anyway, Yes, yes for yes. fun. It's yes. passion. I get, Very, I get up in yes. the morning and think, like, how can no, I smear George Fox? No, are we going to talk about Josh Fox again? Yes. So... He uh, very concerned about the climate. Very concerned about the climate. Yes. He's also a, a Bernie surrogate, and you know they talk about Bernie Bros and they deny deny exist. You know, I think Josh Fox is a a good example of a Bernie bro. But anyway, you be, may be surprised to know Josh Fox has a girlfriend. Um, uh, oh, and her name is Kalina Bun. B U N. Kalina Bun. Yes, yes, that looks like it. So she has written a Instagram post. If I can find it here, here we go. And she complains about having to give up her parents' health care because she has just twer- turned 26. She was covered under her parents' health care. It's a huge, and she's regretting she didn't get all these things done before she has to give it up. 
And here she, she says, you know, and she's really upset about this. And she's, Today she's, is the day I lost my health insurance dun, because dun. I'm too old to be carried on my parents' plans. 26, yes. by the way. Yeah. I woke up in the middle of the night kicking myself for not going to the doctor and getting a checkup on this or not getting the procedure I needed for that. Last year, I realized I needed glasses and I was lucky to be able to get the care I needed with little out-of-pocket yeah. costs. So, but just... So she then goes on to talk about she's always supported Medicare for all. But here's the paragraphs that I found. So this is what, if you support Medicare for all, this is what you're going to be supporting. I work, this is a quote from her Instagram post. I work jobs that I love and I live a life in which I travel. Why should that mean I shouldn't have good, consistent health insurance? No one should have to sacrifice their dreams to get health insurance. So you are going to be so first of all, she loves travel. I just checked her Instagram feed in the last while. She's been to Rwanda. She's been to Brooklyn. She lives between Brooklyn and Louisiana and New Orleans. Nice. Right? And she's been to Rwanda. She's been to, uh, for the Mardi Gras. She's been to the Virgin Islands. And she's, she's been all over. But So Josh Fox, Josh Fox, I'm not. She's got a very big carbon footprint. Yes, Josh Fox, I'm not encouraging you to tell your woman what to do. But, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, you, know, you know, they say charity starts at home. Climate change should start at home. Yes. So, but let me tell you, Medicare for All, you, do you feel happy about helping Kalina Bunn fulfill her dreams? I don't. To go to the Virgin Islands. To go to the Virgin Islands, to go to Rwanda. I don't care any of her dreams. Like, they're her dreams. She needs to fulfill them herself, and I do not need to pay for them. I have my own dreams you that do. I don't want to pay uh, an extra 20% of my taxes to pay, fulfill her dreams. Sorry, Kalina. Sorry. Sorry, Kalina. I'm not really sorry. Very sorry, Kalina. So, Kalina. Not really sorry. Um, go and get a job. By the way, I, I remember reading in the Wall Street Journal a couple of years back. Do you know how much a, um, a young man in his 20s, how much fully comprehensive medical insurance costs for, for a young man in his 20s? $45 a month. They don't get ill for anything. Yeah. You know, they, they're never ill. Uh, actually, that was, of course, that was before uh, Obamacare. And then... Uh, that pushed the price up. But by the way, it would be the price uh, the price of flying between Brooklyn and and Louisiana, which seems to, according to her, her Instagram feed, she seems to do every couple of weeks uh, because she, obviously her and Josh spent a lot of time together, fly around a lot. I mean, one of those flights would pay for her medical care. So so it's a, let's say it's $100 a night. Let's say it's $150 a month. That's, 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 not, that's not one of those flights. You can afford it, Kalina. You've just decided that you don't want to make that choice, uh, that you don't want to afford it, and you want other people to pay for it. Well, take one less flight, save the planet, and uh, pay your health care. There you go. Look there at you that. Go. Look at you solving all our problems. Oh, um, yeah, and and tell Josh that, you know, don't, don't be rude uh, to people in the public theatre. Right. Remember he was thrown out yes, of the public. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Exactly. Can we put that, can we put up that? Let's put up that headline, actually, because it gives me... This is the play where he says, I smear him, and he was a champion for truth and a warrior for truth. But uh, whilst putting on the play, he thought he could tell the public theatre in New York what to do, and they threw him out, and then he claimed anti-Semitism and racism. And all kinds of things like that. Because the world is against him. In fact, but he's now, actually, and both of them are now, they're now, sorry to go on a bit about this, they're now down in Houston canvassing for Bernie. So, by the way, if you are in favour of Medicare for all, you're in favour of people paying for people to canvass for Bernie. So all of that is ahead of you. Um, 
Who do we think is going to win, by the way? Everyone's dropping out. Everyone's dropping out. Who do we think is going to win? I don't know. We're recording this just before the Super Tuesday results come in. So yes. we don't know. I, th- you know, it's going to be very, int- nobody really knows, actually. Nobody really knows um, what the, it's, it's going to be a mess. But, they're all, but everyone's panicking about the idea that it would be end, that it would end up being Bernie. They're like, imagine, they really are panicking. Ima- there must be the panic at the highest levels of the DNC. Uh, but they really are in trouble because Bernie is very, very popular, and then they've got, yes. and then they have to deal with the Michael Michael Bloomberg problem. And the problem with the Michael Bloom, Bloomberg thing is that they sort of secretly, an awful lot of them, like the idea of him as a moderate. But the problem is then they have to swallow the fact that he is spending a billion dollars of his own money to buy the election. Yes. And this is the Democrats who don't believe in buying elections yes. and have a big problem with spending money. And they're always talking about how much money has been spent. They've suddenly gone very quiet on how much money has been spent and because how Michael Bloomberg money corrupts politics. You cannot turn on on any social media now anywhere and not get Michael Bloomberg. We were in that ad. house. We were in that house the other day. A kid of 12 and oh, a kid yeah, of yeah, 8. Yeah. We says, who do you support in the election? And they said, Michael Bloomberg. And I said, how do you know that? And, and he says, his ads are up on kids' YouTube. Yeah. His ads are on kids' YouTube. Yeah. Which He's is actually up. quite a clever idea because the kids will then put pressure on suburban mums and dads. But who knows? Michael Bloomberg might drop out as well. We saw but, some, Well, I know. mean, uh, but, but the idea that Joe Biden is the alternative. Let's play that little clip of Joe. This is a bit of a, this is a very sad little clip of Joe, but let's have a look at it. Um, I mean, Phelan has said this before. There's something about watching Joe on stage that makes you feel like you're part of some kind of elder abuse. But have a look at this. He's doing it to himself. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by, go, you know the, you know the thing. Oh, Joe. Oh, Joe, Joe. Oh, Joe, dear God. You know the thing, Anne. You know the thing, yeah. You think, I mean, just think that those people in, in, was it 1776 sat down, you know. And wrote that thing. Wrote that document. Mm -hmm. All men are, you know, uh, endowed by the the thing. thing. By the thing, you know the thing. That's the name of a movie, isn't it? No, it's terrible. It's terrible. It Uh, is terrible. No, it's it's terrible. You feel that... There's something, there's some, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how he could, I don't know how he continues and I don't know how it is that people are supporting a guy who's in some kind of decline that he seems to be in. It's, it's, but, but it's a worry so now. So, okay, he's on a debate stage with six other people, so he gets a maximum of 15 minutes, 20 minutes a night. And to be honest, he struggles then to be coherent. How is he going to manage over a three hour debate with Donald Trump? No idea. And it'll be, I mean, you know, people, you could buy, t- sell tickets for that. Um, yes. This week um, is, um, as we mentioned at the top, this is the eighth anniversary of the death of Andrew Breitbart this week. And um, it's very sad. And mm-hmm. what, what we're going to finish with, actually, and we're, you know, we, well, were, we just we, want to say it's, it is sad because it's doubly sad because this week also is, is the is the memorial service for Orson Bean, Andrew's father-in-law. So Susie and all the family have been through an awful lot in the last few years. Andrew Breitbart was a very good friend of ours. Andrew Breitbart is the reason we are here in L.A. Uh, he told us to move to L.A. when he met us. Uh, Andrew Breitbart, when we first came here, he met, we met him. He came to a screening of one of our films, a very small group. And he said, how are you getting around? And we said, oh, we'll get taxis or whatever. And he, he lent us his car for six weeks. So we were driving around in Andrew Breitbart's car for six weeks. That's the kind of person he was. Generous with his time, generous with everything, and we miss him every day. And yeah. I just miss him talking about Trump. I miss that so much. Yeah, it just 
And you can't even imagine what you that would be like. Imagine. You know, we, we were trying to imagine how that would, how, was, what would he have to say it's about always, everything. Andrew was always original. And everyone's saying that too. Everyone says, what would Andrew say about all this, you know, and it's such a shame that he's not here. We really do miss him. And we're going to play out the end of this show with that incredible song that John Andrasik from Five for Fighting wrote uh, when he learned of the death of Andrew Breitbart uh, eight years ago. And we're just going to play a little bit of this. And for those of you who are looking for this, you can find it on YouTube. Um, so hard to say goodbye. I can't stand to see